Right, well, good morning. Uh, so this morning we're going to continue our study in Colossians, uh, for those of you who were here last time. <clears throat> uh, so you can turn to the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Uh, so last time was about a month and a half ago. Uh, we finished up in verse number 8 of chapter 1, and today we'll continue through uh, verses 9 through to 14. So in verses 1 to 9, uh, some of the things we noted, uh, significant aspects of the people and places that are mentioned uh, in those verses, specifically uh, Paul and Epaphras, and the place of Colossae and the church there. Uh, We looked at some of the main beliefs present in Colossae, uh, which included or were mainly false Greek mythology, uh, Judaistic legalism and ceremonialism, and we summarised these and found uh, that a lot of the ideas and heresies that they were presented with uh, back in their time, we still are today, uh, although they may be under different names. Uh, you can identify them once you know uh, what they are. Uh, and in verses 3 to 8, uh, we focused on the church's faith in Christ Jesus, uh, their hope that was laid up in heaven, uh, and their love for all the saints. So hopefully some of that rings some bells, uh, but if not, it was uh, a while ago, I understand. Uh, But today we'll pick up in verse number 9 through to 14. Uh, So we'll read through that now. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through to 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in, the, in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul, uh, so Paul teaches and shows us. Uh, sorry, in this passage, Paul is talking about prayer. Uh, so this is his prayer for uh, the church uh, at Colossae, uh, and he begins by saying that we have not ceased to pray for you, and then continues to list uh, what exactly he's praying uh, for them about. Paul teaches and shows us that prayer, particularly for other believers, is a powerful ministry that every Christian should be daily involved in and committed to. It's something that anyone can do. Maybe some of us can't make it down to the basketball stadium on a Saturday afternoon and run around with the school kids, uh, kids club, but prayer for the saints, the believers, is a ministry we can all have and should have. And if you don't know what to pray for, Paul gives a few ideas in the next few verses. Uh, So the first thing he prays is asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of God's will, that's something that we hear a lot about, uh, knowing God's will for our life. I used to hear a lot about this, particularly when I was a teenager. Perhaps you were the same. Many church camps and rallies were spent trying to find what seemed to be the elusive uh, will of God. Uh, But the prayer here is not just to know God's will, but to be filled with it. Uh, And an example of this uh, from my own life, completely made up, of course, uh, is when I was in school, I might get home from school one day and spend a few hours relaxing, playing some computer games or something. Made up, like I said, of course. 
<clears throat> and my mum might come in and say, Luke, it's time to do your homework. Uh, she has made her will pretty clear uh, with that statement. I might interpret this how some people would try to interpret God's will and say, but was she really saying now was the time to do my homework? Or was she just saying there's a time to come that some homework might need to be done? Uh, it's hard to be sure. So I'll just keep playing on the computer. Uh, but really I knew full well what my mum's will was. Uh, but th- did that mean I was going to do it? Probably not. Because I knew my mum's will, but I wasn't filled with it. Uh, and this is where the term being filled comes in. Being filled here means to be controlled by. So Paul is praying that the knowledge of God's will would be the controlling influence in their life. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about different things filling people's hearts. An example of uh, being filled with sorrow or controlled by sorrow is in John 15, uh, 16, verses 5 to 6, which say, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Uh, an example of awe filling a person's heart, Luke five twenty six. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Uh, and the Holy Spirit uh, filling is Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Uh, so we see man is under the control of whatever it is that fills him. Uh, whatever has the controlling influence. Paul says to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, to be controlled by it. Uh, Thankfully, we can see what this looks like by looking at the person and life of Jesus. Uh, It was his endeavour to be filled with the will of God, which we see in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42, uh, where Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in John 6.38, which says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And of course, in the Lord's Prayer where he teaches, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The way Christ lived is the ultimate example of a life submitted to the will of God. And we look to him in this as well as other aspects or every other aspect of our lives. The end of verse 9 says, Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom, talked about here, is the ability to organise the truths of the Bible in a systematic way. And understanding, which is mentioned here, is to apply these truths in your life. Uh, Which leads us to the next topic of Paul's prayer here, the fruit of knowledge. So verse 9, I'll read again, says that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So listed here by Paul are five benefits of applied knowledge. So first of all, the first benefit, that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now, this sounds impossible upon first reading, uh, to, work, to walk worthy of God, and it is uh, in and of ourselves, yet we are commanded to. 
1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And again in Ephesians 4 verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Uh, we know that positionally we are righteous before God and therefore we are worthy. But our practice does not always match our position, and it should. This is summed up in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, which says, Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We look to Christ for how to live a worthy life as Christians. So the first benefit of applied knowledge is to walk worthy. Secondly, is to be fruitful in every good work. Now, fruit is a theme all throughout the Bible, uh, found famously in the Old Testament in Psalm 1, chapter, uh, verse 1 to 3, uh, which says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Now, in the New Testament, fruit is specifically described in different ways, uh, including as good deeds, leading people to Christ, praise, giving money, and as products of a righteous life. Uh, therefore, logically, we could draw that if any of these fruits uh, that I just mentioned are missing in our life, it may be from an empty space in our knowledge of God in that area. The third benefit listed here is growth, increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the idea of maturing, growing up. And how do we know when we're all grown up? How do we know when we've grown as much as we can or when we've made it? Uh, the answer is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, which says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. The stature of Christ is our goal in growth, and the process is called sanctification. Through the milk of the word, knowledge of God nourishes us and grows us. The fourth benefit of applied knowledge is that we may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Uh, the word strengthened here is a continuous strength day by day, moment by moment, strengthened with all power. Uh, this doesn't mean that we're going to be lifting cars and te tearing telephone books in half, uh, but Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 explains, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Our inner being can receive fresh, fresh strength through the knowledge of God. The fifth benefit is endurance and patience with joy. Patience is a deliberate endurance. Knowledge of the promises of God help give us patience and endurance, and as opposed to the world, it gives us these with joy. Uh, for example, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will, let, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Knowing this promise shapes our behavior when we are presented with temptation. Knowing the word of God, his promises, and his purposes help us to react to the situations of life in the right way. Uh, so we see the five benefits of applied knowledge. 
walking worthy of God, being fruitful in every good work, growth, strengthening, and endurance. And verse 11 ends the first half of Paul's prayer, and so far it has consisted of petitions before God. Uh, verses 12 to 14 consist of praise to God. And this is a good reminder for us to not only ask God for things in accordance with his will, but to make as much time to thank God. As well as this, you might note that the petitions made are not for those struggling with sin and backsliding or fallen on bad times, but the petitions are for people who are living faithfully before God, loving the saints and doing what they can for Christ. And it's important to pray for those who are living faithful and ministering wholeheartedly as well. Uh, they are just as susceptible to falling, if not more so. Uh, so the second half of Paul's prayer, like I mentioned, is giving thanks to God. So why should we give thanks to God? Uh, the answer to this uh, is the same answer that we've used a few times, because Jesus did. Uh, in John 11, verse 41, uh, it says, So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And again, John 6 and verse 11, uh, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Uh, so you see, Jesus gave thanks as opportunities arose in his life. Uh, there are other things that the Bible says uh, we should give thanks for, specifically. Uh, things mentioned uh, food, who God is, uh, his character and his attributes, his nearness, uh, the progress of others, uh, as mentioned in Romans 1 verse 8, which says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is procla proclaimed in all the world. Uh, but I think 2 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 uh, sums it up when it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Uh, primarily, we should be most thankful for the work of Christ in salvation 1 Corinthians 15.57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's also found in the last part of our message, uh, our passage, verses 12 to 14, which say, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, we have not just been rescued into nothing. We are told that we are transferred into the kingdom of God. Uh, we are therefore a group ruled by a king. We have become his subjects. And though men would oppose and slander, he is no less a king. Though he is not present, we represent him as his subjects until he returns. And so we need to walk worthy as we reflect our king.